Hi, if I could take a moment of your time before we start. If you've enjoyed previous episodes or if you enjoy this episode, if you could subscribe on the platform that you listen to, that would be really helpful. It helps us get more guests and push the podcast forward. Thanks. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hi everyone, welcome to the Car Chat Podcast. And with us today we have Merlin McCormack. Hello. Good morning, Sam. How are you doing? Good morning. Very good. Very good. Um, can you tell the audience a little bit about sort of who you are, what and what you do? Just a short summary. Of course. So <laughs> my name is Merlin McCormack. Um, I own a business in West London called Duke of London which is a classic car and sort of supercar hub. Um, it's a big old derelict uh, 1930s factory that we took on about four years ago, and we've transformed into a destination for people to come and hang out with their cars, without their cars, whatever, just uh, enthusiasts alike. We've got a pub, a pizza restaurant, a wine bar, car showroom, restoration business, all sorts of stuff here. So there's something for everyone. Um, and, yeah, we've... Uh, We've been going now, uh, it took about a year to build, and we've been going for about two and a half, three years, um, and we're open for all. Yeah, I think the last time you were on the podcast, so if people want to know about your, your sort of background and story, they can tune into the first podcast we did, which was episode 26. Now, we are now on like 113 or something like that. It's busy boy. Um, <laughs> yeah, lots of chatting. <laughs> um, but that, that was November 2019, which I'm trying to think what state the place was in at that what, that point. Now you had cars in and stuff like that, and I think you just started building out the offices. Yeah, um, yeah. So we've got. Um, I think it was just before, just before or after, because you were here for a while, weren't you? I think it was after this podcast, the, yeah, that, the previous podcast that I yeah, came yeah. in for a bit. 
So in addition to everything I've listed before, so we've got all of this kind of central hub within the building where all the car happenings are. We've also got uh, 30-odd sort of studio spaces, artists, studios, offices, and everything else. So we have an amazing community of local independent businesses or individuals or creatives um, who are based out of here. And I think when we were last talking, we were just finally getting those spaces up to spec. Um, mm. We're now pretty much fully let and have been consistently, which has been amazing. Um, and again, the community down here has just continued to grow organically at such a fast pace. It's been brilliant. Uh, we've also, I think, I mean, November 19 would have been about the time I signed the lease on the bloody pub, which was a <laughs> yeah, great yeah. idea in principle. Yeah. And then COVID hit like three months later. So we had, um, yeah, we had like a real baptism of fire into how not to do it, but it was fine. I mean, we've, we've survived the pandemic, which was incredible. Um, I've got my mum in there. Uh, she runs the pub and she's done an amazing job of keeping it afloat uh, and adapting in every which possible way throughout lockdown. Um, what else has happened? Uh, in May 20, we opened the pizza restaurant. So that was being built last time we spoke. Mm. That's open seven days a week. Uh, yeah, it's we, we've got a dedicated car storage facility now as well uh, on site for people to come and store their cars. Um, that's again, that's gone from strength to strength. We're now expanding that because we're at capacity with a waiting list. And we've also just opened a natural wine bar and shop on, sh on site as well for people to come in the evenings and kind of hang out and you can either you know, buy a bottle to take home or come in for a drink by the glass. Um, and, oh, and also the, the coffee shop, Coffeeology, uh, shout out to them. They've, they've opened to, uh, the public as well. They're open, uh, seven My days a week. My favorite coffee shop in Richmond, actually. There you go. Yeah. 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 So they've got that. So Luca, who owns Coffeeology, the, the brand has, uh, yeah, I've always admired the way he did it down in Richmond. They've got that amazing kind of gothic building on the corner there yeah. by Whole Foods. Um, and their coffee's amazing. Um, and yeah, so it was, it was kind of a natural fit. He's a massive car head. I've, I've bought a couple of cars off of him and sold a couple for him over the years. And, uh, yeah, they fitted right in. And it's, it's finally the, for me, that was like the final piece of the puzzle for people to come and just have an excuse to just be here. And I think the coffee shop's become a real like daytime hub during the week, uh, for mm. people that like, we get yeah, people just coming in to work or hang out. And, you know, we, we've made lots of new friends along the way. It's, it's, it's been great. Yeah. It's quite nice to be able to sort of walk in, grab a coffee. And then have a little wander around. Have a mince around, yeah. Yeah. Cause you, but you did have a coffee shop. There is still another coffee shop, isn't there? Yeah, so there's a bakery next door, which is separate from us, and they do the most amazing like baked goods, and they do have a coffee counter as well. But they, you know, they'll be the first to admit they're a dedicated bakery that also has kind of a bistro offering as well. So they okay. do a breakfast and a lunch in the winter months. In the summer, they do a lunch and a dinner. Um, food in there is incredible. It's run by a chef called Robin Gill. It's called Ride by the Water. Um, you should really, yeah, come down and check it all out. And their, their spot's incredible. It's right on the water. Um, they've got an amazing, like, natural meadow garden. Um, and yeah, so, but th they weren't there as a dedicated coffee shop. You can, like I say, go in there and get a coffee, but we just wanted, like, a quick takeaway counter. Um, and it, yeah, it's, it's proven really popular. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay, during this period of time, we've obviously had the pandemic. I don't want to bang on about sort of how <laughs> awful whatever that has been. But as a from a sort of business point of view, it's it's quite interesting to now we're out that we're sort of, you know, I don't know, we're Hopefully surviving. Hopefully out the words, yeah. Um what was that like as as a business for you? Well, I think you've probably heard this from other dealers. It was an incredible time of like I mean, to be honest, we we were like batting down the hatches ready to take a hit, essentially. Mm. Um August 20 was our biggest month ever. And that was like really in the peak of lockdown, you know, 
everything was kind of really intense at that point. Um, I guess you're looking at it from a kind of macro perspective. There was a lot of people, you know, be it with a little bit more disposable income or more time on their hands, bored at home. Um, I, for one, I'm sure you were too guilty of just sat there like spending even more time than I really do prowling classifiers looking yeah. for cars that I definitely don't need. Um, and I, I guess we benefited from that massively. We've, we've got some great new relationships with new clients. Um, we've, we've seen you know, other people who have either, you know, have also kind of you know, gone from strength to strength and adapted during the pandemic and we've helped them grow their collections and stuff. So it's, it's been a really, yeah, interesting, unpredictable time for sure. We didn't anticipate, I don't think anyone did. It was such an unknown quantity that we, we all feared the worst. Um, but we, you know, we kind of, as much as we could legally, we remained open throughout lockdown. So we were doing a lot of virtual viewings. Um, much to my absolute amazement, we were selling so much online. Um, you know, we, we get a great like lead generation through Instagram and stuff like that. But we were like selling stuff to people who were buying stuff sight unseen from all over the country, all over Europe. Uh, which I guess is more common these days with new cars, but you know, with the classic car market, the specialist stuff that we deal with, generally people want to come down and see it. But where they couldn't, they were sort of. I, I'd like to think that hopefully our reputation aided us into kind of building confidence in them, and people were buying stuff blind, and yeah, we had no complaints. So um, yeah, it was mad, absolutely mad. <laughs> yeah, it is absolutely crazy. Has that sort of stuck along, like you know, virtual viewings and things like that? Yeah, I think there's a there's definitely. I think one thing that we take for granted is living in London. I know you, you sometimes spend time outside of London as well, but we're in this massive bubble where we kind of feel like everything's gone back to normal. You travel up north or down to the west coast or whatever. There's still a kind of air of fear and uncertainty and stuff, mm. which I totally get. And people are being, I taste that they're probably being a little bit more respectful of the situation uh, still. Um, so we still get a lot of people from afar who do request virtual viewings and we're doing, you know, nowadays it's something that in hindsight we probably should have done always, but we now, every time a car comes in for sale as part of its check-in process, we're doing a complete detailed walk around video. Um, yeah. you know, we've always done a walk around video, but now we're going above and beyond every nook and cranny. It's like a 10 minute video that every car then has in its digital folder that we can send out a drop of a hat. We, we're scanning every part of every service history as soon as a car comes in because we're now uh, you know we've acclimatized to people just wanting to see stuff remotely um and it's working of course you know there's only so much you can see on a facetime call you'd rather have it on you know a hard copy there's a hard copy of it um yeah. so you can refer to it so yeah it's 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 something we've adapted to and, and yeah it's great it's, it's become a great kind of kick up the arse and tool for us to um yeah to kind of build confidence in these people that we perhaps will never meet yeah it's interesting that like i've I bought my first sight unseen car in pandemic. It was, it was slightly expensive. <laughs> it, was, it was my 812. But There's a running theme there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and, and that for me was, I, I knew it had a warranty, so you know that my yeah, stuff quite. was covered. But, um, it's still like, a big gamble though, like, especially with that quantity of money, man. That's, it's hmm. a daunting feat. Like, but, you know, again, it, where, where did you buy that from? It was um, from Tom Hartley. Yeah. So, so you, you put you, your, you're sort of put, you're putting your trust put your in the dealer. Faith in the hand, yeah. They're sort of, you know, if anything goes wrong or if there is a problem. I did I did go and pick it up. So I had a chance to sort of have a mooch around and whatever. But we did like loads of videos and, you know, with that sort of, there's not much service history and stuff on a car like that. But yeah, of course. with older stuff, I'm now much more comfortable if someone has done 
all of the video, all of the photos, all yeah. of the service history. And, and then you also know the dealer or have some sort of connection with the dealer in some way, shape or form. Yeah. You know, they're not going to run away. Then I'm much more comfortable. And then also nowadays, I guess you can, if you buy something sight unseen and it turns up and it's not right, you, you can just, send you just it reject it. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think the, the best thing about the video stuff, as you say, you, you, you kind of want to, I'm happy, you, especially with the classic stuff, you know, there's going to be things with it. it, it, it you know, the car could have gone through a restoration a year ago. There may still be one or two things with it. Yeah. And we try, we desperately try to point out all, all of the foibles. We get the car in the air on a ramp, like on a two post ramp, not a four post ramp. So you can really see underneath it and we'll show everything in all its guts and glory. I mean, we're huge advocates for instance, of like under ceiling cars as soon as they're ready to go out to a customer. We will never, ever do it before a sales agreed in the car because there's nothing worse than not turning up to sort of an Arthur Daly-esque showroom and the car's still got wet wax oil on the underside yeah. of it. But we, you know, ultimately we want to promote the preservation of these things. Um, so it's, yeah, it, it, the, the confidence you can kind of gain from people by being completely transparent, even with the, the shitty bits, um, it's good. You want to see it warts and all. You need to know what you're buying. Yeah, I think absolutely. And that, that does reflect in price. We, we sort of, I don't know whether you, I presumably some dealers have been like this for a long time, but, you know, showing absolutely everything, telling the client absolutely everything. It's the sort of, you know, I don't know from selling stuff on eBay for years that like if you list everything, like all of the stuff and you go, there's a scratch there, there's a scratch there, that sort of stuff. All it gives is the buyer confidence that you're not bullshitting yeah. them. Whereas Absolutely. if you just say it's perfect and you post three pictures, they're going to have to build in a buffer that you're probably yeah. not telling the yeah. truth. And yeah, that's presumably that happens with cars. Yeah. Yeah. Without question. And I think, you know, trying to, um, trying to break away from the, the, the cliche, uh, classic car dealer or car dealer image, um, I think people are, are way, way more accountable these days. They have to be. It, it's, it only takes one kind of viral review or whatever to kind of ruin someone's reputation. That you know, Reputation has got to come before any kind of profit or growth or whatever. Yeah. It's just you've got to keep your customers happy, otherwise it's not going to happen. But, yeah. And then some people have slightly shady reputations. Yeah, quite. <laughs> and, uh... <laughs> and that's all we'll say about that. <laughs> that's all we'll say about that. Exactly. Exactly. Ask around before you buy yeah. from someone. <laughs> yeah. So what else? Okay. So you, you guys opened a pub into yep. pandemic. I yeah. Mean, that's, that's not <laughs> that's Fuck. Yeah. Was it open? So we opened, we literally opened on the 14th of December, 2019. Uh, we shut, I think, I can't remember, like the, the 20 something of February. So we were literally open for 10 weeks. Um, yeah. And it was an immediate, I mean, it's, it's, it seems such a distant memory, but it was an immediate lockdown. Like we were shut, shut. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Pubs had to shut, didn't they? Yeah, we, we leased the pub from Fuller's. So we don't own the building or anything, but we, we've mm. got an amazing relationship with the, with the guys there. And I have to say, credit where credit's due, they really, really looked after us. I know some of the other sort of tenanted, brewery pubs out there the other chains weren't quite as lucky um but they like yeah really looked after us they bought back any unopened beer they did us a deal on the rent like without and this was blanket across all pubs like we didn't ask for anything in particular but they were just like no you guys have been great to us i mean we were new to the firm but we just kind of were, yeah, yeah. thankfully benefited from it and yeah of course it was tricky to adapt but as soon as we could do for instance takeaway pints we were doing takeaway pints as soon as we could open outdoors we were opening outdoors and, 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 and it's taken us a long, we, we're such a small pub inside. We've only got about 40 covers. We waited a little bit longer than most to reopen inside. I think there was 
we, yeah, we benefited from an Indian summer recently, so we've kind of kept it open outdoors only until the last couple of months. Mm. Um, and now we've opened back indoors. We, we're seeing our regulars back in and new faces. The, the pub itself is sort of steeped in amazing cultural history. It's one of like the last uh, grassroots music venues in West London. So it's a music pub by, by nature. So it's generally mu- live music six nights a week. So we, you've got oh, like cool. each of these uh, artists have got like a cult following in, like locally. Um, it's really, really cool. It's a really, it's been a really humbling experience actually because you kind of, you see people truly wanting to just enjoy something and support something that they have kind of, it's like an old friend to a lot of these people. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's been great because we, we were at pains to even renovate it really. It was in such a like horrid condition when we took it on that we were really as sympathetic as we could possibly be, basically cleaned it uh, and repainted as necessary um, just because it was so grim. But we wanted to keep as much character as possible. I think we succeeded in that because all of the people that had been drinking there for decades are still our locals. And then our crowd from Duke of London has kind of nicely integrated into it. Our crowd is obviously um, like, I don't know, the, 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 the demographic in the area is changing so rapidly that watching it, and how yeah, the, the sort of new Brentford crowd is integrating with the old. It's been great. I, I think there was a lot of resistance from the locals initially, but people are seeing, certainly in our case, thankfully, that we're one of them. Like we're, we're not, you know, I think they see like the kind of flash cars and whatever else, and they yeah. get a little bit reticent, but then they realise that you know, we do do a lot of work for charities locally. We do want to preserve the pub with the best interest of the pub in heart, not just as a money-making machine. Uh, yeah. Trust me, there's no, there is no money in pubs. <laughs> um, <laughs> but... Um, yeah, it's um, yeah, it's it's been a crazy uh, kind of social experiment, um, and again, thankfully, we've been able to kind of really, uh, really stay afloat throughout this this time with it. I think that's, that's a, a huge, huge props to my mum for being able to um, yeah, to keep it busy despite yeah. all the circumstances. That's that's cool, actually. Like, because the the sort of you said the, the demographic has sort of changed in Brentford, but like, when did you first? When did you first sort of? have a property uh, business in Brentford and how has it changed? Like how has it developed and changed since then? Yeah. So we, we opened off like my first showroom uh, when I was oh, 19 or whatever, when I opened that was down at um, Kew Bridge where the new Brentford football club stadium is like mm. the footprint of that part of that was my, my old uh, showroom. And then we went on to take on more space and opened some sort of tenanted units and carried that over down this end of Brentford. So essentially we've been a Brentford based business from day zero um, and we've been in this end of the, of the high street for uh, since 2016, so five years now. Um, we had another showroom before we moved in here around the corner from where we are now, and we took on some more properties, like the workshop building that we've still got now. Took that on about four or five years ago as well. So this has very much been our kind of backbone. We, we, we've, we identify as a Brentford business. We are proud of that it's 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 a kind of area of london that you either haven't heard of or if you have chances are it's probably not for the right reasons um it's always been a little bit rough where where the town suffered drastically is half the high street the south side of the high street where we are was bought up by developers 22 years ago now and everything was boarded up so in anticipation of imminent development that didn't happen that developer sold it on that developer then sold it on that developer then sold on and all of a sudden you're two decades down the line and you've had these amazing wharf side warehouses that would have been yeah, historically have been really, really significant in kind of West London's industrial trade, be it boatyards or you know, plastics factories or whatever it is. Um, and they've all just been abandoned. So naturally with that comes a lot of crime and 
uh, it's just a bad image. So yeah. now things have shifted. We've taken over really what is one of the last one of those buildings that hasn't yet been demolished um, and really transformed it and put a bit of a, you know, uh, you know, a bit of love into it. Um, and it sounds crazy, but even like the, 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 the people at the bus stops, you're seeing kind of a real young hipster crowd now as I drive into work. Mm. I think it's becoming a cool area to be. Um, it's the last part of West London that's on the river or the canal, depending on which part of the town you're in, um, that hasn't yet kind of really gained momentum up until now so yeah uh, yeah it's, it's it's incredible to see and the, the sort of type of um businesses that are opening like the, the bakery next door that we discussed earlier that was a real i think real kind of again a kind of social experiment to see whether there was the, the footfall for that kind of thing around him and they're packed you have to sort of pre-order your bread in there because their bread's so good <laughs> um but it's you know, four or five pound a loaf which you know in, in theory I can see why there was a bit of you know, resistance when they did yeah. it, but now everyone's adopted it and it's become part of the community. Same with our uh, our natural wine bar. We've been open there nearly three months now. Natural wine has got a huge following in East London. I mean, there's so many natural wine dedicated bars, shops, like restaurants that exclusively have natural wine lists. And you know, with natural wine, it, it's not, in most cases, it's not anything out of the ordinary. It's just natural by definition, but then some of the stuff is really weird and funky and isn't for everyone. But, you know, same as the kind of craft beer movement. Um, yeah. But there was nothing in West London to cater for these people, hence why we opened it. I opened it with a dear friend of mine, James Bannister, uh, yeah, like I said, three months ago. And we have seen what we prayed would happen in as much as there's so many people that have moved here from West London, from East London or lived in central London and traveled further and far to, to go to places like what we've opened. And I've gone, yeah. holy shit, this is finally on my doorstep. Thank God for this. Um, and we're now like, we, again, we've already got locals in there that come in two, three nights a week. And it's brilliant. <laughs> it's, so it, it's, it's, it's showing that, the, like I say, the demographic is really shifting. But the, thankfully, there's still a huge local audience. Hence, the pub is still a, you know, a sort of a busy place. And you know, we, we've thankfully been adopted by the locals as well. Yeah, that's cool. And it's great that the, it's like something like a pub is a classic venue for people to sort of, you know, old people to come across young people without having to directly like necessarily talk to them, but they can yeah, yeah, just yeah. be around and sort of pass on the your local stories and whatnot. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's trust me, there's enough stories around here that the, the hearsay, gossip, folklore, everything around <laughs> here is amazing. Um, if you know, if you, if there's certain characters that you'll bump into time and time again and, if half of what they're telling you is true, this place is an incredible town. <laughs> it's It's been <laughs> such, such a cool place for so long. Um, and again, like you said earlier about just being able to pop in for a coffee and walk around the cars, I think, you know, we're not a museum. We're not, we don't ticket ourselves as an attraction in that sense, but we really do encourage people to just pop in for a coffee and have a wander around. It's, we're not a formal dealership. You're very aware of that. It's a kind of yeah. open door policy. We have certain safety precautions in place, like you know, railings and stuff so people can't damage or access the cars. But you can see stuff if you come and speak to one of our guys. We'll happily show you anything. Um, and we want to keep it really informal. And there's, so there's no real pretense. You, you know, we have a lot of local families who just bring their kids around on a Saturday afternoon just for a mooch around and that's fine we, ultimately these kids might one day and it sounds cliche might one day come back and buy a car it's not but we don't think it's of it true. like that we, we 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 just want yeah we want to spread the love and yeah show people that it's not some sort of elitist um you know kind of luxury swanky place because it's not um, and we love that yeah but you and you do have some very expensive cars from time to time in the showroom yeah. so it's not like oh it's yeah, just yeah. Cheap, no, it's whatever too, yeah, we, we 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 try and cater for all budgets, really. I mean, we we have built 
some of the most amazing relationships with clients who have bought sub 10 grand cars for us and that's great we've all had to start somewhere and in some cases it might be these guys have got huge collections already and they just want to buy one because their dad had one when they were a kid or this is their first classic or whatever there's always an interesting story behind each person's decision to want to buy a car Um, and we we really try to retain clients and build our relationships with them to the point where we you know we have such a high success rate in getting the cars back we've sold people Um, I'd like to think because of the way we handle things in the first time round um it's just amazing to watch these, especially young guys, grow. I think where we've stood out, there's a lot of an older generation who have been incredibly, you know, thank, I'm, I'm so thankful for it, but they've been incredibly generous towards me because they can see I'm a young guy who's starting out on his own and I'm really supportive of that. And there's also a younger generation who I guess empathise with what I'm doing and want to kind of buy from someone their own age who's maybe got the shared interest and stuff like that, yeah. whereas they feel perhaps a little bit intimidated or out of place at some of the other offerings around you know, around in West London or London or further afield or whatever um, and with that, the kind of plethora of cars we offer if you do come in to just buy you know a 200 grand car or a 5 grand car you get the same level of treatment we don't really care within reason yeah. about what or why you're here we, we just want you to become part of our extended family it's it, we've, we've got a much bigger picture in mind um, and hopefully that comes across yeah I think a lot of showrooms are quite intimidating not necessarily their fault but just kind of the way no, it, yeah. the, the hires the people you know the people that work there come across as like a certain type of person now it doesn't mean they're not a nice person doesn't mean they're no, no. not super interesting or whatever but like it's generally you know private school guys yeah that and everything's super clean and you just kind of like okay which you know it's fine but it does probably does put off a lot of people, and it's quite intimidating. I, I still get intimidated going to see certain like the, you know, people we work with. Even like I'm like, well, yeah. walking to these fancy showrooms, I'm a bit like, I still feel like a kid in there. I'm like, oh god, I feel a bit out of place. Um, and we mm. make a real point of taking on. I mean, majority of our staff are of a similar background to me and younger than me. Um, so they're kids that haven't gone to university. Some cases haven't done very well at school at all, but we train them up and try and kind of bring them on board and make them a real part of the business as opposed to just a nine to five employee. Um, you know, we're really amazed at how quickly these guys have grown in their capabilities. You know, they're a lot of them, some in particular that, you know, grades are slight. I mean, I've flunked all of my exams growing up, but you know, unfortunately that's become a kind of a measure of people's abilities generally. But there's one guy in particular who is very similar background to me and is I'll put him in front of anybody. Yeah, he can he, he can sell cars. He can build relationships. I'm really confident in his abilities, and I can trust him and rely on him. And he, he does an absolutely amazing job. He's twenty. Or tw- yeah, he's twenty now. It's just like yeah. it's incredible to see someone at that age really has taken to him. He's been with me since he was sixteen. He's just a really, really, really good person, and we really want to invest in these guys' futures as well. And we want to keep them on board as long as feasible. Really. Um, and I think that's really, really important. I don't just want to hire the Hooray Henrys straight out of you know, Oxbridge that you know, know, know every last finite chassis number. Great, that's fine. But <laughs> there's, there's sometimes a little bit of a, uh, a, a character failure there. <laughs> yeah, it, um, it's, yeah, it is sort of, it's what it is. But it's, I, I do like how you guys now as well, because you've got all of these offerings in one place, and there are a couple of other places like this, but because you you can turn up and you can have a mooch around but also you can just go and be like i'm 
if you're the sort of person that's like, you, you get a bit put off by the idea of a glitzy showroom or something. If if there's a coffee shop in there or a pizza restaurant or whatever, you're like, I'm going to the coffee shop. And then on the way, you have yeah. a look at whatever. It, it, so, it softens around. the sort of, yeah, the fear of it, I, I hope. Because, like, yeah, we don't want people to be intimidated here. And we, we, we further try and soften things by doing a lot of um, non-car events as well. I mean, yeah. it sounds like a, a horrific cliche, but unfortunately it's, it's the case with a lot of uh, people. In my relationship, it's, it's true too. My, my missus has become kind of part of my car world, and I'm grateful for that. But there are certain things that she's like, like sort of rolls her eyes at if I say, oh, we, I want to go to this event, I want to go to this event, because she's just like, oh, it's just going to be a bunch of blokes stood there talking about, you know, what wheel nuts they've got. Yeah. Um, whereas we have had so much feedback from partners or children or whatever, people that aren't necessarily into cars that come along with their friends or their partners, and they're like, I'd never usually come to a, a car event with him or with her, but I love this place. And it's like, thank God, it's like, this is exactly what we were trying to achieve. Um, so we put on a load of sort of community markets, like craft fairs, um, alongside Ballymore, our landlord, um, food markets, music festivals. We're putting on a dog show in spring and you know, all nice. sorts of weird and wacky stuff. Um, and and it, that that kind of, again, softens our blow with the community, but also brings a whole new audience on board to the kind of supplementary offerings we have here, like the pizza restaurant, like the coffee shop. And we've got the gym here as well. That, you, know, you can come along for yoga classes and Pilates and all sorts of fitness uh, things as well. So we really want people to walk through and go, wow, this place is cool. You don't have to be into cars at all. There's no, yeah. there's no, you know, we don't force that upon anybody. Um, and we've also, I think I said before, and when we, we spoke on the last podcast, that we also wanted to save some of the local businesses. So we've moved in the local cobbler when he was being turfed out for redevelopment. So we've got an amazing guy here, John Russell, the Brentford cobbler, who has kind of, I think it's, it's been an amazing way that we've both grown up both of our relationships. He's gone from working Brentford high street, doing a lot of, um, you know, shoes, keys, you know, all things a cobbler does well. Um, yeah. and now we've got a lot of our clients who come in in their fancy cars with their fancy shoes. And the, he's now predominantly doing a mail order service for people's wives, Louboutins and you know, oh, men's nice. Gucci, Gucci loafers and stuff like that. And the work he does is incredible. Um, but it wouldn't have necessarily, formatted itself like that had he not moved in with us um, yeah. and he still does service the community so he's still got you know all the lovely little old deers coming in to get their keys cut and stuff he's, he's still set up for that as well so having him here brings in quite literally brings in a completely alien audience for us who go what's this place all about then and it's i love that I absolutely and watching people's faces and they come in is always fantastic it's <laughs> sort of, so, so, don't get me wrong it's not for everyone <laughs> like, yeah we're never going to win everyone over but generally the feedback's amazing no, I, I really like that. And and I like going, let's say, come around to your place and I'll be like, oh, have some little cars or have a coffee, chat about some rubbish. And then he'll be like, oh, this guy, he repairs bikes. And you're like, I've got yeah. a bike. That's going to yeah. need a service at some point in time. Oh, exactly. I'll bring it here. Why not? Like, he's probably not shit because he's here. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, I know so. Yeah, yeah. Jim, the bike guy, is amazing. I mean, it, he was another sort of small business. He was based in Hamwell before, and you know, naturally, rent prices were going up left, right, and center. And we had a sort of a bit of surplus space, so we've helped him out. And you know, all of these guys that we have on site, we kind of we have them here. And there, I said that they're on a sort of subsidized rent, so they, they pay a lot less than they would per square foot for mm. for a unit with us than they would locally. Um, kind of because of the uncertainty and the tenure of the lease, we're not going to be here forever, but we want to make the most and help their business grow as much as we possibly can during the time that we've all got here as well. 
Um, and yeah, it, it's just that it's, yeah, we, we've now got a cycling club that meets once a month as well. And we all go out and we, we, we call it pedal and plonk. So everyone comes to the wine shop and then we, we go out and for a bike ride and there's the option to come back and have a drink. And if you want to have a drink, you can leave your bike overnight. Uh, and it's all safe and secure and stuff for the next day and come back and collect it. It's, it's really chilled. There's no, there's not a lot of formalities with this kind of stuff. And we, we just want it to be open to everyone and not intimidating at all. Mm, that's cool. That's cool. And yeah, you've done loads of events. Like you did, um, what have you done? You did uh, drive-in cinema? Yeah, I mean, that was just a lockdown necessity because it was kind of like we couldn't do car meets. I remember, like, I was thinking back to this the other day. When we first started them, you couldn't get out of your car, theoretically, and go and talk to your friends. It was, we had to kind of regulate, and that was yeah. the law at the time. So we had to be policing it internally and unfortunately it took a bit of an edge off of it but it was the best possible situation for people and we just had to offer something we were so bored ourselves not being able to host our car meets and just having people around us and obviously as the months have gone by it's eased and then it came to this summer and we didn't need to necessarily do these drive-ins because you know lockdown had come to an end and people can go to the cinema or they can go and do whatever else and we were already hosting car meets and so many people we had to be honest we didn't really have many plans to do it we kind of thought about it and didn't really yeah, nothing really had been implemented. But the, as the months got warmer, people kept asking and asking and asking. It, it was such a well-turned-out and, yeah, I think well-received event that we kind of found ourselves forced to put it back on. And we're so glad we did because it, it, it was it – so, there's so much fun the nights. We've got uh, – we've had girls uh, on you know, roller skating, waitresses who come around your car and take your order and deliver your pizza and your drinks and stuff. Um, there's always kind of like live entertainment before the show and – yeah, it's it's amazing. It, it, I think, and we we have kept that as a kind of exclusive classics and supercar only thing. But we then do offer deck chairs for the community, or you can hire a car to sit in for the mm. evening as well for a little bit more money. So we we try to keep it inclusive. But in terms of the kind of atmosphere, just to have we, it's, it's intimate as well. There's only about thirty five cars, but to have three rows of just classic and supercars watching, yeah, I feel it's really really cool. I'm so I'm, I'm, to be fair, George and my other half has been pioneering that thing from day zero so i'm really proud of what she's achieved there because it wouldn't happen without her um but it's it's such an amazing atmosphere down here and everyone smiles and by the, by the end of the summer we've usually just got the same people coming again and again and again the tickets sell out <laughs> straight away and it's, it's it's in a way it's great it's i'm so grateful to their kind of loyalty but we, we've had we had to put on second screenings we usually just do a wednesday night and then we had to add a second yeah. night because everyone's like i can't get tickets it's like okay cool okay we'll, we'll make the most of it um we are now a cinema <laughs> yeah quite yeah um we've got our first riding cinema this weekend we're trying to do a lot more motorbike stuff as well i think it's, okay i've just kind of got more into it um personally we're working with uh, Malay who are an amazing independent brand uh, a couple of cousins Robert and Johnny and they are kind of shaking up the motorbike apparel scene um, with, with their designs and stuff and the products but moreover they organize these incredible events all around the world like motorbike rallies and beach races and they, they've got an event called the mile where they um, they take over this huge estate up in Peterborough and it's just it's kind of like Glastonbury but everyone's on motorbikes it's it's just okay. incredible um, is this it's kind of it's did I see? Did you go on a trike? Yes, I, I bought off of um, it's a, a friend. It's actually uh, Sam Blood Orange film's best friend from school's late grandfather's uh, <laughs> okay. trike. If I got that right, uh, it was a Honda ATC from the eighties, and these things were like banned in America because everyone used yeah, to yeah, roll yeah. over. And um, it's only a little one two five one. They did big 
the the big red ones which was like i think 690s or something um so it's a it's a solid suspension but they're on these like huge moonraker beach buggy tires so they, they spring around everywhere and if you go into a corner it would just roll over so you've got to learn to kind of hang out the side like a sidecar rider and stuff <laughs> um and this thing had been in their family since new and was absolutely battered so um there's a great guy on site here andrew smith who is a kind of motorbike builder restorer you know, mechanic and he took the whole thing apart and when it came to repowder coating everything on it because it needed to be done i said oh fuck it we'll do it like a barbie trike <laughs> so we've done everything all the all the hardware in gloss white and all the panels in gloss pink and stick it up as like a mattel barbie endorsed thing um, and yeah i raced that at the uh, at the mile and at the beach race this year with melee and that was that was so much fun um yeah that it's it's hilarious to ride but it, it does take some getting used to because you really it's so counterintuitive that you really will just tip it on any kind of twist or turn um <laughs> but yeah so anyway going go back to it, the Mali guys are organizing a, a ride in cinema this saturday so we've got um everyone's arriving on motorbikes and they get a deck chair next to their bike uh, that'd be really cool to see how that kind of pans out and i think we're going to make them last of the dry weather and then we'll start again in spring now this will be the last uh dry like drive-in ride in for the for the rest of the year and then we'll, we'll we'll probably recommence in sort of March, April time next year. Um, but yeah, with the motorbike stuff, we're really up in the ante with that. Naturally, kind of primarily because we can only get at our events maybe 50, 60 cars at a meet, but we can get 200 motorbikes, 300 motorbikes um, yeah. The, yeah, for the same kind of thing. So just because they take up less room. So we, um, yeah, we're, we're, we're seeing that kind of bike crowd growing down here. We don't want to become a bike destination solely or you know i mean the ace calf's up the road that does a great job of that and i think they've got an amazing niche up there we don't necessarily want to compete with them in any capacity at all but yeah. for you know for the malay crowd i think it works quite well as a bit of a you know a different offering um so yeah it's uh no, that's cool that. did you do you did a hill climb oh god yeah i forgot yeah we haven't spoken about that um the hill climb was mental so i mean take two people georgia and i who have never competed in and in georgia's case never been to a hill climb and let's put on a hill climb what's the worst that can happen (laughs) um it was we yeah everyone lots of dealers organize track days and we we do some ourselves as well we've got a date coming up at goodwood next month and stuff like that but we wanted to do something completely wild and different and uh, without trying too hard we just thought well you know we, we found out about where well, Shelsley Walsh out in Worcestershire is the oldest still operating motorsport venue. And we loved their history, loved the story. Uh, we went to visit it and just loved the location. And we just thought, well, this could play into the hands of like a really cool kind of festival vibe um, for you know, a car contingent. There's loads of land either side of this hill. It's beautiful. It's set in the Morgan Hills. It's like completely isolated. Um, I think the closest neighbor is the guy who owns the hill. So there's no complaints about noise or anything. There's no yeah. noise restrictions. It's just, we thought this is kind of our, our, we felt at home already. So we, um, we set about organizing this hill climb. It was like a Saturday morning meet at the showroom, drive up through the Cotswolds. We stopped off at, uh, Dalesford for sort of a lunch stop and then ended up at, um, a, a base at, at Shelsley Walsh set up camp. So people had the option to camp in bell tents, their own tents. Then there's a bed and breakfast on site cottages on site or they can go for a farm and find their own accommodation in airbnbs or whatever um and we had yeah a couple hundred people stay the night and party on the saturday night after a quick tour of the um the morgan factory which was nearby which was really good fun so cool. we did a drive out there and then saturday night we had a a really really good fun at a party that we organized we had like a live reggae band on it was really really good fun uh 
and then Sunday morning was kind of you know cloudy minds. We all woke up and set about this hill climb, which was yeah, we'd kind of we we played it down. We we worked out ahead of time that people would probably get six or seven runs up the hill. We had a hundred cars entered um, across the course of the day, but they did say, look, if this goes smoothly, we can probably get more in. So to kind of manage people's expectations, we told them they'd at least get five runs up the hill. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you know Al Clark, the videographer. I think he managed 14 yeah. runs up the hill. The- <laughs> <laughs> I think he took the, took the post on that, but everyone was, it was constant, but there was no obligation. It, it wasn't competitive. The vibe was amazing. Like, kind of like the stock that we sell, there was everything there from like, an F40 on straight tubies all the way through to some like homegrown unipower, like mini kit car things. Nice. Uh, and yeah, Al in his A86 thing that he's built. And it was really, really, really cool. Um, they themselves at the venue said they'd never seen such a mad mix of cars at one event. Um, and we're just in the process of organizing um, another event for next year, which will be a three day event. Um, so we can do two days of racing instead of just the Sunday. Um, with more going on in the field. So we had like grass carts going on. We had like sort of off-road activities as well, but we really want to ramp up that side of it as well for next year. Um, you'll have to come along next year. Sounds like and, fun. Uh, it's really I- good fun. The hill itself is really easy as well. So it's 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 competitive, like in, in as much as you can really try and beat your times or whatever. But if you're a novice to it, which I completely was, um, <laughs> you can sort of take it easy and find your feet. And by your sort of fifth, sixth, seventh run, you can feel yourself getting quicker and quicker and quicker and quicker. Yeah. It's really, really good fun. Um, I mean, there, there is literally no off. It's either down one side of the left or straight into a wall on the right. Um, <laughs> but thankfully, Touchwood, there were no um, no accidents, no offs, no you know, major breakages or anything. That's probably when five runs is is perfect because you're getting to the point where you're like, oh, I know it, I know yeah, it's yeah, a yeah. bit faster, and it's like, and you're done. <laughs> it, it's it's kind of you, you know when you get to that point at like four thirty at a track day at like Bedford or somewhere like that, yeah. and everyone's starting to push their luck a little bit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's when everyone starts spinning it. But uh, yeah, it's it's kind of it was that similar kind of vibe that people started to realize their their limits. And by about, to be honest, by about three o'clock, everyone was in the paddock with a pint in their hand, and it was just the last hardcore guys really going for it until five o'clock um because there wasn't like i said there wasn't any you know, competition element to it we did have a kind mm. of a, an informal you know fastest run of the day per class type thing but it wasn't to motorsport regs or anything and we won't i don't think we'll ever do it to that in, in in for the foreseeable future just because it takes away a little bit of the fun of it yeah i think the less serious it is obviously certain bits have to be semi-serious but the less serious it is the more fun people are going to have yeah yeah exactly yeah, no, it sounds uh, it sounds pretty cool. Um, what else have I seen? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Let's just talk a little about you and your cars. You bought a Jag. Bought a Jag. Yeah, I, I mean, it, <laughs> tell me about this Jag. So, yeah, I mean, it, it was something I'd wanted forever. So I've bought myself a it's a 1953 Jaguar XK120 Roadster, and I wanted one literally since I was a kid. It's like one of my dream, dream cars. Um, I think it was one of the only dream cars that I felt was vaguely achievable mm. uh, at this time in my life because it's not you know, five million pounds like some of the other things on the list. You know, we had we had a, a good summer last year and I, I, I to, to fund building this place where we're sat now, I'd sold in 2000 and whatever it would have been, uh, 2018, I sold literally all of my cars uh, to fund this place. So I slowly been building up a couple of little bits here and there and had a couple of projects on the go and having some fun with it, but still kind of felt like I was missing a, a fun car that I was proud of kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, last summer 
worked my ass off and decided to treat myself. Um, so I bought this thing, uh, it, it literally classic case of don't do as I do. Um, <laughs> bought it sight unseen uh, at an auction and was assured that it had just done this tour and done a thousand miles in the last six months and all this sort of stuff. So I thought, oh, fuck it, I'll, yeah, I'll go and pick it up and drive it home. And uh, We turned up there and we, we drove out to Coventry to pick it up and uh, I mean, we'll call the bill, uh, the, the vendor, we'll call him Billy Liar. So I turn <laughs> up there and uh, Billy Liar standing there and he was like, where's your trailer? I was like, what? And I'm driving it back to London, mate. And he was like, all oh, right. And you could see this like look on his face. And I thought, I was on the phone to you yesterday and you were like, this car's great. Yeah, it's like, fine. This car's amazing. So already I was kind of a bit, all right, let's, let's see, see where this goes. I think I got like fucking seven miles down the motorway before it overheated. Uh, in like lovely day, constant moving traffic, sitting at 70, thinking like, oh, this is fine. Um, and they just randomly overheated. And I was like, this is great. And I had my dad in the car and he was just like, fuck's sake, what have you bought? <laughs> so um, I, um, after, you know, we, I think we limped it, breaking down every sort of five, five, 10 miles. We limped it to Banbury services and I just, I got the right ump. And I phoned uh, a chap in Coventry who is the man for these things, Guy Broad, uh, I'd never actually really dealt with him before. And I said, guy, my name's Merlin and I've fucked up basically. <laughs> uh, there was no going back. It was an auction purchase. I couldn't hand it back. And to be honest, the, the story of the car was so cool that I didn't really want to be you asked. Know, I, 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 even, even though I'd, I'd owned this thing for half an hour and I, I, I was, I hated it furiously, but I, I was so in love with it at the same time that yeah. I had to keep going. Um, so the car was bought from a Jaguar dealer in Exeter when it was new. It's finished in like a pastel um, gloss green, like a light pastel green um, with a dark green, uh, they call it suede green leather. The seats in the car are totally original, so they're battered but kind of still usable. They're not completely mm. threadbare or anything. Um, but the, the leather is so beautiful. Um, you couldn't replicate it. So this was sold in 1953 um to a, to a chap who kept it for sort of five six years and when the car was sold new there was a young guy working in the uh, the jaguar dealership called david harrison who loved the car he was just like a valet there a mechanic whatever and he, he he always said oh one day i'd love that car i'd love that car and anyway he works his way up through the dealership over the next five six years and your man who bought it new came back into the dealership and said look i want to sell it now and by this point david worked his way up to sales manager and he bought it back for himself so he's like, this is the car I'd lusted after as a kid. So this is kind of, I've, I kind of empathize with this Mr. David yeah, Harrison. Yeah. So David bought the car. Um, it would have been, I think it was 59 or 60. And he set about kind of upgrading it. I could read in between the lines. It's not really well documented, but at some point in 61, 62. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The engine blew. Um, under his ownership, and so he fitted a Mark Nine 3.8. These Mark, these um, XK120s always came with a 3.4, but he fitted a Mark Nine 3.8 engine to it, 
and kind of you know C type head and a few racy bits um, mm. and a, a synchro mesh gearbox because he's had a constant mesh first and first and stuff. And he started hill climbing it, so it became quite a, a well known car on the south coast hill climb scene. And he raced it between '63 uh, and kind of the early '70s, and it was quite a successful car. It sort of won many, it, only in privateer stuff. It wasn't, yeah, but that back in those days, even the stories we hear about the big names, a lot of the races that you know, Sterling Moss and these people competed in were just privateer races back then. Yeah. So any, anyone really could enter if you had the car. So um, yeah, the cars campaigned for about 10, 15 years, and then. Um, he passed it on to his son, who kept ownership of the car and then stuck it into a museum where it sat in, down in Devon. It sat in there for 10 years, then he took it out. He did a kind of light restoration on it in the 90s, um, repainted the body. Uh, so I think that was in the 80s. Then put it back in another museum and it sat again. And blah, blah, blah. So anyway, it came out of a museum in about three or four years ago and the chap who I bought it from then bought the car, claimed to have done all this work to it, claimed to have done all these drives in it and all this, all this crap. Anyway the block was completely cracked and the engine was oh, fucked. Dear. So um, I phoned Guy Broad and he immediately jumped to the rescue and took the car straight in. Um, and he stripped the engine down. It was like, dude, this engine's crap. So we had to decide then whether we put another 3.4 like it would have had originally or a 3.8, which is the car, what, what I felt the car had known its whole life. So I opted yeah. to kind of break away from the mold and put the wrong engine back in it. So I put a brand new block in it and we've kind of built like a, somewhere between a fast road and a race e-type engine for it so it goes like stinks about 300 horsepower it's got a modern five-speed nice. guy broad gearbox in it disc brakes all round like adjustable suspension uh it's all been poly bushed and silly roll bars in it and i drive it absolutely everywhere all weathers uh i took it to paris a couple of weeks ago in the pissing rain there and back um it's got a roof that's kind of worse up than it is down um yeah, just i literally i love that thing so much um and yeah, just I think we finished it in December last year, and I've done about I think now I've done about eight thousand miles on it since. Um, nice. Yeah, drove it to work this morning. I absolutely love it. Uh, I see, I see it. you in it all the time. <laughs> well, you you, you live down time. the road from me, and I'm always passing yeah. you on Q Road. Like, yo. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's 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 it, he. After about a month of ownership, I sent it straight back to him and was like, "You need to fit a heater to this thing because it's." Baltic, this wind comes in from every. You can't work out where all this cold air is coming in from. So we fit this amazing <laughs> little heater box. It's so hot in, in the, like you're sitting in traffic and you're too hot in the car in the middle of winter. Nice, which is what good. I want. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so yeah, the Jag. That's uh, yeah, that's here to stay cool. for a while. Yeah, I'm very fickle nice. with my cars, but I think that's that that one will hang around for a while. And then the um, the Range Rover, the yellow Range Rover, is still around. Yeah, that's like the shop truck now. So um, yeah, we we built that sort of layer cake looking thing i went looking for the original car found that i'd been written off from the film so i uh, built like an exacting tribute to it and uh, that's become we've taken the back seats out of it and that's like our van at work now um nice. so yeah it's been an absolute disproportionate fortune on that putting it back on air suspension and stuff um <laughs> again don't do as i do <laughs> yeah but then these projects are fun aren't they like i I think so, yeah. <laughs> maybe i don't know it's, it's when, when the <laughs> bills just keep mounting uh, like, it's, it's ridiculous yeah they're still eating baked beans yeah <laughs> yeah exactly um with with you because that comes in soon yes doesn't it? that's in like this week next week yeah. is that gonna actually no your jag will be fine because it's a classic so, car I, I literally own one car that isn't compliant because um, all of my stuff is too old to be compliant. Mm. So there's a 40-year rolling exemption, which they're capping in 2023. So from 2023 onwards, anything that's 1983 onwards won't be then automatically become exempt. Okay. So anything pre-83, essentially, you're fine. 
for the, you know, anything at the moment up to 81, you're fine. La, 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 la. Yeah, we're quite lucky. We're just on the outside of the ULA zone. I live just on the outside of the ULA zone, as do you. So we are literally just on the cusp of it. Yeah, and you um, don't have to go through it to go to work. Through it to get, no, no, because we go up the South Cirque, it's fine. Um, I mean, my dad literally lives 100 yards inside it and can't oh. now. He's out to sell his car. Like, it's just, it's crazy. I'm not totally opposed to it, to be honest, which might I think it's a good ruffle idea. some feathers. I, I do too. But at the same time, I think the way it's kind of just been forced upon us and there's such, like... This public consultation on it's been absolute shite. It's the same with this like LTN stuff, this low traffic uh, zone stuff. Oh my god! Block. I, so many councils are now U turning on that because they realise it was such a fuckery and they've put bike lanes so, in that aren't being used. And well, the LTN that's the that's just like blocking stuff off. Isn't yeah, it? let's just block off the yeah you know, the rat runs basically, which I I kind of get as well. But at the same time, you know, depending on where you sit, we pay a fee to drive on these roads theoretically. Yeah drive on they're not part they're not private roads and now to sort of you know you get fined if you're driving down a public road now and stuff if you've taken the wrong turning and there's these tiny tiny little cameras at the end of the road with tiny signs and then next thing you've got like a hundred pound fine in the post you're like you bastards i had no idea it's it's absolutely ridiculous i got done in a i was in a press car i was in a gi yaris and i was driving sort of what is it northeast chiswick bridge and then the first turning sort of after if, as you're going into London, which people might do to get up to sort sort of like A4 area. Yeah. Um, just drove down there and then I saw a sign. There was no signs like pre-turning or anything. And then it just said residence permits only. And I was like, and I literally did the thing of, mm, this is a road. I yeah, pay yeah. road tax. Yeah, quite. Mm, I have a residence permit somewhere. And yeah, I drove yeah, down this- it. No, nothing. Hundred pound fine. Like, yeah. how? How can you do this? Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. I think the the way what, what's been incredible. I've got some friends of mine who live in Ealing, who's ro- their own road. They now have to drive. They've got like a, a flower pot that's been like it's a concrete flower pot. Because oh, okay. initially yeah. people were vandalizing that. I don't know if you saw any of this. It's brilliant. People like pulling them over in this. I'm not advocating nice. like civil unrest, but it, I thought it was quite poetic the way that people were taking <laughs> justice into their own hands and constantly ripping these things out of the way. Um, and her road has, uh, yeah, her, where her and her family live, they've lived there for, you know, years. her husband, her late husband used to work with us and he would have like a five minute commute to come to us. Now she has to go like, if you want to come at this from like an emission standpoint, she's now probably adding twice yep. the CO2 output to her journey to get here or I, I can't understand it. So they've, they've not been consulted on this. They're the ones that are protesting. The residents themselves, are, like 90% of them are up in arms about it. So they can't um, get Ubers. No, they can't, like, all this stuff, I mean, like, I think, deliveries. It's, it's crazy. There's, like, it's certain dispensations for, like, timings and stuff. But, you know, God forbid, say, for instance, you're an Uber driver and you've gone down there and you turn out the... Like, these guys shouldn't be penalized. They're just doing their jobs. Like, this is, yeah. this is crazy. It is um, mad. But, and it's... All you're doing is displacing it. So yeah, does absolutely. someone from the council live on that street and want it or something? Yeah, because it's, it's crazy. You can drive one street over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Harrow Council, I think, were the, as far as I'm aware, were the first to go, yeah, we fucked up. Yeah, we, we're going to take these out because we've pissed everyone off. We haven't really discussed it. We've kind of forced this upon the people. The people have now spoken and the majority opinion is this is a shit idea yeah. and should never have been put in. Um, and I think uh, this... Ealing Council are now kind of coming back off it. I'm just thinking locally. And then thankfully, um, Hounslow Council, where we are, is 
kind of taking a bit of a... Uh, I think they've buried their heads in the sand a little bit over it for too long, and now they're really being held accountable for it, which is great because, again, I'm, I'm all for more cycle lanes. I'm all for... I, I totally get the, the greater good here. Um, but, for fuck's sake, like, you can't yeah. just shut people's roads without any kind of... There was some forewarning, but, like, without proper consultation, warning, yeah, appropriate yeah, sort of planning. testing or whatever else. And they just dump, yeah. like couple of hundred grand into whatever and that's the cost of it yeah exactly yeah yeah, yeah. i mean i, I remember when, um, when harrow did their u-turn they were working at how much they spent on they, they cut down a dual carriageway into you know, one of the car lanes and now become a cycle lane and they worked they calculated how many bicycles were using it every day and it was the same as when it was just a narrow bike lane on the side of the road and yeah. they, they were you know I'm, I'm sure you know there's going to be a saving grace somewhere where there's you know unfortunately less incidents of you know injury or accidents and stuff with cyclists but the cost of putting it in versus you know, everything else was just not worth it. And they've kind and the of you know, they've got egg on their face. Like, I oh don't my know. God, yeah. Give all of the residents a free bike. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of spending 500 grand putting some concrete blocks in. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. Oh, it's mad. It's mad. That's a very uh, London thing. I think it's probably happened elsewhere. But, yeah, yeah, I'm sure there's people listening to this going, what the fuck have they just been talking about for 10 minutes? But sorry about that. <laughs> um, Absolutely. Like, just just not talking to the community about it as well. And I understand, like, as a sort of car person, I don't think I'm, I think I would like cars, but I, I like all stuff. I'm very pro-environment and um, all that, like, everything. I want a better solution, but I want it to be a better solution. I don't want yeah. to be constantly infuriated by what seems like, a worse situation. There will have to be some compromise to better whatever you know, what we've become yes. accustomed to. I'm totally. I'm the same. I'm in the same mindset. I'm totally game for like positive change. Like I said, I'm not totally against the ULES, and I'm kind of in a. It, I suppose in a, in a really selfish way, I'm kind of looking forward to potentially London being less busy. <laughs> I don't think London will be less busy, but I less pollution will be less, really less, nice. Yeah, 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 yeah. But for some reason, we can drive our classic cars. Which doesn't make it. I'm sense. not complaining. I, I had a, a local counselor in here recently, and she she said she goes, oh, what, "What are you going to do about all of the uh, about all of this ULES stuff?" And I said, "Oh, actually, we're exempt." What? <laughs> uh, I yeah. mean, you got you guys came up with this. This wasn't this wasn't my decision. <laughs> yeah, one uh, of the people at the top has some classic yeah, cars. Yeah, quite. Yeah, quite. Uh, I'm not complaining. Um, but yeah, I think. But you know, the, the, then you you look at. And I'm sure you've probably discussed this on this before, but the kind of the the, the lifespan of these modern eco vehicles versus keeping, you know, versus, versus the kind of carbon damage footprint, whatever you want to call it, of keeping one of these classics alive. It, there, there's an argument for both, sure, but you know, when you hear all these headline horror stories about how much it really does take to produce and then recycle what is recyclable on for instance a tesla or something versus keeping a car that's been on the road for 60 70 years on the road yes you've got to put high octane in it now e5 or whatever yeah you've got it's, to kind of look at it's on a case swinging by case. towards the electric car in this in this situation but if, yeah. if you've got a classic car and you don't use it that often you know yeah. Give them a break. Yeah, yeah like we've got bigger fish to fry in that regard um and electric electric cars, I know a lot of the sort of car people in the car world have sort of think they're the, the devil and are sort of destroying. They, there's some sort of belief they're literally destroying the planet. Now they're not 
there's aspects of it that are not great. Not great, but, yeah. But I, th- I, I like to think that over time that will improve. And you know, we're in the early stages of really seeing it become adopted. But what, yeah. like you say, what pisses me off is when people kind of take the stance of, oh, that gas guzzling thing. It's like, yeah, fair enough, it is. But we've kept, we've preserved this with nothing. There's no, beyond the obvious emissions, there's no wastage here. We, this, from where I'm stood, there is so much more to be said for keeping something going than mm. this kind of disposable culture that our generation's become used to with PCP deals. And after three years, you've got cars that are just sat there redundant, especially if they're now not compliant, which is mind-boggling. Yeah. The amount of wastage from that is just it's horrible. Yeah, it's true. It's, it's, and it's, it is like a, it's a culture, isn't it, of I'm going to repair stuff. I'm going to fix it. And that if more people can do that, I had a a moment recently, which I don't know why I suddenly thought it. I was just looking at a car. It was a modern car. And it was just like, this is a hunk of like bolts and metal and plastic stuck together. Like, and I don't know why I've never really had that revelation before. But like, if something breaks, you you can just, if you know how, take it all apart and fix whatever the the thing is that's broken. It's it's like people getting nervous about all these, you know, hyper like uber uber valuable cars racing at goodwood or wherever or, you know, <laughs> you know, yeah. no they bring 24 or whatever. They, aluminium. <laughs> it's just a bit of tin like it, yes they've, they've it's historically important I, pres- I appreciate they need to be preserved as, as artifacts but god forbid if something does go wrong which it invariably often does i mean these things they all fucking crashed in period no one really cares yeah and ultimately as long as you rebuild it true to form it's great and people oh yeah but don't you think that no 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 no. this this can't it was built 50 60 years ago when they didn't have the technology we've got now it will be fine (laughs) yeah there's nothing scary it'll be fine if it's even the real one (laughs) let's not talk about that yeah (laughs) we'll we'll ruffle some proper feathers there (laughs) but yes i couldn't i have no problem with people racing whatever they like as long as no me neither I just yeah. think we should have a, a declaration. That's my only thing in the whole thing. Is like, yeah. If someone is racing the real one and it's all original, I think they should be given some props. Yeah. But they're all bloody expensive anyway. Yeah, but exactly. Even if it's a grid full of you know, Kirkham Cobras pretending to be the real deal, they're still like yeah. 300 grand a pop. So yeah, fair play. To <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Crashing them is still very expensive. Yeah. Have you been to any of the Goodwood events this year? Yeah, we did. Um, uh, I think I went to all of them actually. Did I go to fest? No, I didn't go to fest. Did you go to members meet? I went to members meet, and I, I went to members meet last weekend. I did the revival. We're due to go to uh, festival speed, and uh, I got halfway there. We realised we left our tickets there. So I did a U-turn, came home, <laughs> got home, and the dog had eaten like this huge rubber toy thing. We actually ingested it, so we had to take him to the vet. So, so we missed festival speed. <laughs> we have. The, we, I got. I bought George a puppy last Christmas. He's the best thing ever. But he just sees stuff and eats it. So we kind of we now nice. have this pen that we've like huge pen, but we can only leave his water bowl in there when we go out because it's just and that's that's stainless steel. If you can get through that, I mean, we're good luck to him, frankly. Um, but we uh, yeah we ended up at revival, um, which we went both uh, yeah the Friday sorry the Saturday and Sunday that was incredible. I mean to see them come out of again as with all events we've all suffered mm-hmm. from it, but to see them come out and really that was as far as I was concerned the best produced revival ever the, the the amount of sort of extracurricular stuff that was going on there was mad um i think they did a really good job of doing that over the road thing this year where they had the kind of yeah. separate festival um sunday night you know you finish racing at six we stayed till like 9 p.m because we went over the road had some food bumped into loads of friends and it's a really really nice atmosphere and great idea that it was the first event 
that I've been to in a long time where I kind of wish I'd done two days and was staying. Me too. Yeah, yeah. Well, we, we got there. We had events running the Saturday and the Sunday morning here, so we didn't get there till the afternoon on both days. And we were only due to go on the Saturday afternoon. We had such little time there. We felt we'd been like short change. So we mm. immediately got hold of some tickets for Sunday and we're like, we have to come back tomorrow because this is just so good. I'm so glad we did as well. Uh, and then we were at Members Meet the weekend just gone and that was great. We went on the Sunday and Members Meet, so I think it's just a completely unique vibe for the UK because you know you go to a lot of the classic stuff be it Brands or Silverstone or whatever and it's, it's I think Silverstone Classic kind of get a, a similar atmosphere where it's very laid back um, I just feel that Goodwood somehow feel, pull off this kind of open pit environment with a little bit more style it's, it's just a nice cool place to be I think they, they do such a great job of it yeah I think that's it's got to be due to it's just the place and the layout like you can't go to a silverstone international f1 pits and it have the same atmosphere as like no no but i mean i was referring yeah yeah i was referring to the classic they have there but like yeah in the same same it's the same effect because it's still in the wing like you're in this huge amazing glass beautiful building but you're right there's no character there that the they they have down at goodwood i think you you can kind of you can take what i love of her you can point and shoot and take a photo put it in black and white and the photo you couldn't date it you it could have been any time in the last six or seven decades i love that it's brilliant Yeah, it's so cool and even the, the the amount of effort people go to like i see from like a photographer's point of view i'm walking around with like modern stuff because there's no way i'm shooting on some old stuff but you look around and there's half the people are carrying like old cameras oh god yeah yeah, yeah. Old old, cameras. Be, be it like an 80s pentax thing all the way back to like yeah. a 30s leica it's, it's amazing yeah, it's 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 so so cool. I think, and yeah, you're right. The amount of effort that people do go to. It's funny as well. Like even looking online at vintage clothes and stuff, you, you've, everyone now refers to an outfit as oh, perfect for the Goodwood revival. It's become like an institution. <laughs> people yeah. are really yeah hard set on the on sort of dressing to impress and yeah, because like, it really indoctrinating the whole the whole idea of it. It's really good. Yeah, at some point I need to sort of start buying an outfit put together I'll, an outfit I'll, I'll lend you some clothes for next year we'll sort you out <laughs> <laughs> well well we normally wrap these up with five questions but since you've been on it before you will, you will have done some of these questions now i might be wrong and you might not have done them but i'm gonna assume you've done them um but some of them are, are timeless so what do you think is actually before we do that state of car market at the moment mad what sort of thing is just mad <laughs> is that the- mad um i mean we we had uh just just silly things like i think i guess obviously because of um sort of supply issues at the moment with modern stuff uh, especially kind of run-of-the-mill performance stuff like we had a, uh, a range rover svr that we were offered yeah. the other day and we looked at someone sort of jokingly said you know what they that, that how much over list they're trading for and we were like oh, god like this is done yeah, yeah. yeah. what are you talking about what we whiny can't five grand profit immediately. And you're like, what? what? Like, what the hell? Like, this is crazy. I, mean, I don't know if you, have you seen what G63s are asking at the moment? Uh, I know that they, no. Like 200 plus. What? And it's like, what? Like people, there's queues of people seemingly willing to pay. Whether the people are just all out on a dime or trying to speculate. Everybody, no one can get stock of them. I think there's issues with, you know, you've got issues with the chips from Japan and stuff at the moment and stuff like that. But for whatever reason, a, a conundrum has occurred in front of us, like a culmination of like clearly issues along the supply chain. But yeah, pe- people are at least asking 200 plus for what? What's a new GC63? 140, 150, 160 yeah. grand? That's mad. G- I, 
I'm not that surprised, though. And not, I've nor been... am I, yeah. But I'm it is mad at the same time. It's bonkers. And I don't know... It makes buying a car really hard because you yeah, know definitely. it's bonkers. Um, I'm looking for a sort of family uh, a wagon at the moment. And I've been going to loads of dealerships, talking to salespeople. Um, some very you're that good. guy. You're that some... guy. You've you just been going around dealerships every Sunday. Yeah, like, just kicking oh, tires. Hello. Just kicking hello. tires. <laughs> wait, 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 yeah. Is, is, would you go for the cash car or the juke? Yeah. <laughs> I can see you in yeah, the cash car, that, actually. <laughs> this is what... Well, I think uh, Skodia Octavia Estate. That's, mate, that's the one I think it's the quite space fair. It's huge inside, yeah. It's massive. Um, but I was at Mercedes yesterday, and they they have no stock. If you want a new, If you want to get a new car... It will take six months. If you want a new car, there's loads of options you can't spec. Yeah, because they just can't fit them all. They can't get and they them all. Can't, yeah, yeah. I, they can't, yeah, they don't have the, whatever it is, chips or something. Um, so you can't get big screens and stuff like that. I know G-Wagon, a friend of mine is ordering one in Germany and it's going to take two years. Mad. They ordered one like four That's months ago mad. or something. Um, so if you want a G-Wagon, you're stuck with essentially the use. You can't order a new one because it's just going to take forever. And even if you did, you can't get all of the nice options. If you want all the nice options, which you want to do it, you want to do it properly. Yeah, yeah. Wagon, you probably would. Um, so you're stuck with looking at the small amount of used but not massively driven cars that are available. Mm. So the prices are people are just yeah, getting yeah. handed their money back, aren't they? After like three years, they're like, "We'll it's take crazy. your car. There's your money back." Yeah. Well, one of the guys that works for me, he's got a, um, he's got like a, I think it's a 20 plate John Cooper works, uh, yeah, mini, mini but with a, not a manual, GP. with a, uh, not, not a GP, but just a standard John Cooper works yeah. S with an auto gearbox, flappy gearbox thing in it. And he's done, I think, 15,000 miles on it and he bought it new and he stands to make three or four grand out of it. And you're like, nice. because again, yeah. they just can't get them. They literally can't get it. It's, it's brilliant. And good luck to him, frankly. Um, I- if you've got a car you can sell and you don't need another car, the problem is if you don't, need, you need, you have to buy something else. Yeah, and yeah. If you can't buy something buy else. Buy something else, then what's the point? You, you might as well just hang on to it. It's, 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 kind yeah. of, it's a catch-22 because if you go out selling that going, I've made a profit, then you spend said profit and buying paying overs on some other sort of run-of-the-mill car. The it's only crazy. thing to do, I would say, is if you can order a new one, and ideally you've done this six months ago, but you can order a new one for the same price as whatever car you're getting out of so that you get out of your car, yeah. you're in a new one, and it's cost you nothing. Nothing. That's, yeah, like yeah. That's a move. nice place to be. It's had its knock-on effects, though. I mean, I was looking tentatively. I was, you know, I've, I've somehow amassed more cars than I really want at the moment, and I thought, I'm just going to consolidate these, and I'm going to... I've got sort of lots of 20, 30 grand cars that... I, you know, worked hard to to gain, but I just don't have the time to use them. Some of them I just yeah. don't drive, or and that, that's not good for them. Or it's, it's some of them I've, I've spent fortunes restoring and stuff, and I finished them, and I'm like, cool, yeah, I've done that. Like next, and I'm getting a bit bored of it. So I thought I've quite I've always fancied an F12. I thought these, this would be a nice yep. thing. I had a couple of things that would I knew would be finished around this sort of time, and they have just been completed. So about I don't know, beginning of this year, January, February time, I was thinking right by the end of the year. Get those cars like out of restoration. I've had a little bit of fun with them, and then let's just consolidate this because the you know, main problem being storage. We're full at base for storage. I've had to go and rent a house that's basically a warehouse so I can keep my bloody own cars there because I just I'm so 
flying out on space and you know, Georgia keeps buying cars and I'm just there like, oh, I can't breathe for cars. It's a real stupid first world problem to have. <laughs> but um, I thought, let's just you know, condense this. I want something fast, modern, reliable. And I've, yeah. I just always loved an F12. And at that point, they were trading for like... One, four, you, you five? Well, you could realistically, you knew you were going to get into one for like 135. Like if they were, okay, they'd be yeah. sat on the market for like 145, 150 for ages. You knew that yeah. someone's going to take a bid. Not everything that was on the market is sold and everything that's on the market now. You want something from Ferrari? It's 180 grand again. It's like, yeah. Fuck? It's like, this mad. is crazy. This is crazy. Like you need something with a warranty, let's be honest. So you kind of want to buy something and you think, oh, yeah, they'll, they'll be taking in loads of part X's against 812s or whatever. And they are, but they're, not asking what they were six months ago. Yeah, again, fair. Good luck to them. It, it, it prices me out of it, but I'm like, uh, okay, all right. They'll well, come back. I guess down. that's a, they will. Maybe. Of course they will. At some point in time. Yeah, I um, think they will. That's that's why I got rid of my A12. I I bought it when you were looking at F12 at the beginning. Yeah, and they seemed like good money. But for for an, the difference between F12 and A12, and I was like, mm, bigger warranty, blah blah blah. Accepted I was going to lose a load of money on it. Bought it three months later. It's gone up loads. Yeah. So I was like, nope. sell. Yeah. <laughs> sell. Yeah. I've had oh, You fun. did the right thing there. Yeah, yeah, you did the um, right thing. You got away with it scot-free, yeah. Well, yeah. But now I've got another bloody Ferrari, so that's probably depreciating. Oh, you, you poor thing. My, my, my heart bleeds, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, I, but you sit on these cars, and I, I bought that. I got, got into that one quite well. Um and you look at the price that things are going for, and you're like, kind of tempted, yeah, it's, yeah. It's just you just you just tempted, so tempted to just offload like everything, ride a bicycle for like a year. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Trust me, the thoughts cross my mind. I, I keep, I'm, I've started commuting a lot on um, on my motorbikes now. I've just, I've been sort of collecting a few bikes over the last couple of years, and there's one or two that I love riding to work on, and I'm kind of like. This does it. I just need, yeah, we'll just keep the silly Tonka toy Range Rover and yeah. Yeah, we'll just, we'll get rid of everything else and just uh, maybe park it in one thing that I know is just going to do well and then, uh, and carry on. But then I drive something else and I, I completely change my mind and come back to reality. But I, I totally agree. We have no idea when it's going to end. No, this whole that's scary. shortage, whatever. Like, it, well, what, yeah, and yeah, then, then I'm, yeah, I'm not completely fluent in, in in the ins and outs of the political side of everything going on and certainly the import duties and stuff but as things go on there's no it doesn't seem like there's going to be any um in, in the certainly in the near in the short to medium term there's not going to be any positive shift in the way that we are dealing with our european suppliers as it were no and i'm i have no doubt in my mind that things are going to get worse before they get better for us as a nation in terms of being able to buy this stuff like it, 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 i don't think we're at a point where post Christmas, when in the new year everything's going to be oh suddenly back to normal, prices will drop, everything's very, it's just not going to happen. No, it, it will come to a head. I hope some point, but you're right, we can't quantify it right now. No, and until with new newer stuff, until you can walk into a dealer and say I want a car, and you get it six weeks later or whatever, like you used th- to, yeah, like you used to, that and on cars that like no one cares about that much or whatever. At the moment, everything is bonkers and it's not going to resolve. So you could sell everything, but you're like, well, I just can't buy anything now. Yeah. <laughs> or if I do, I'm going to pay too much money for it. <laughs> yeah. And you have that thing of like, I'm going to pay Shit, too much if money. If I ever pay for it. for it. Yeah. 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 Oh, well. It's, it's, I, there's an, I had a friend of mine who just bought a 992 Turbo S and the residuals, mm. he financed it. 
and again, it paid overs for it as a used car, but the residuals they've offered him on it are just insane. Like the four year term, and he's basically going to get out of it with 20,000 miles on it theoretically at this price. It's like this That's is mad. mental. And which, you know, GT3s and two RSs and stuff, you totally get. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, a Turbo S commands a slight premium, I get that. But for now, like the way that, that I mean, we'll be here for another podcast if we start talking about Porsche overs, but. <laughs> The way that that's kind of had a knock-on effect with just the kind of more run-of-the-mill yes. stuff like the Turbo S is just mad. Well, the Turbo S it actually surprised me. 992 completely surprised me in how that's done. And I think it's because it's entire new generation Turbo S sort of, you know, it's the, the one that everyone that's gone like, oh, I've got loads of money and I want a fast car. They buy the Turbo S. And then supply has been really low. So that all those people haven't been able to get them. I thought, historically, you buy a Turbo S, it costs 180 grand, it's worth 130 grand, like, a month later. That's, that, that's generally how it, how it works. Yeah. Now, people have made their money, like... You've made 20, 30 have grand. made money out of them. Yeah, and then, yeah, this, yeah, 150 grand new, whatever it is, 160 grand new, it's worth 200 grand by Christmas, and then the person who buys it off me puts it on a PCP for four years and then gets out of it 150 grand, and you're like, what? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Good, good luck to that person. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. I have you driven any of the nine nine two cars? Just a Carrera. Oh, I've driven. Have you driven a Carrera S or a Carrera? Yeah, that was a Carrera S. Yeah, I drove a Carrera four S, the Target. Yeah, this this was uh, a Target as well. Yeah, and I got out of that and thought, you know what, a two S, non Target, so a bit lighter and whatnot. Yeah, like that's that's. That's got to be it. See, I just love... I, if, if it were me and it wasn't going to be a GT or whatever, I just love the target. That that roof operation, I could it's just stand... Cool. I'm like a child. I just stand there, like, <laughs> clicking the key and doing it again. Uh, and I love having the kind of half convertible half... I love, I love convertibles, but I just think there's still a, a slight stigma attached to sort of middle-aged men driving around in... Yeah. Uh, so that was where <laughs> you've got tar- convertible. <laughs> yeah, quite. The, the target's... Um, the target's sort of a compromise in my opinion. It's just making excuses for myself. But yeah, I, I love... It was really... And I'll be honest, I was surprised. It was a PDK and in a straight line, I was gobsmacked how fast it was. Yeah, it was really but it fast. did kind of... You, you used to have an RS3. It was that kind of like immediate, mm. like bang, 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 bang kind of power, which is fun, but it was nothing on... Do you know what I mean? It's, it, it's, it's it, definitely it faster, no question. But it doesn't, it doesn't excite give you me as much. No, 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 quite. Which is a shame. Which I think you then get from the, you know, you've, you've then got to get a 992 GT3 manual to kind of get that same. Yeah. Yeah. Golden I'm years Mexico stuff. I'm in the camp now, though, that like, and I don't know whether, why this is, but I, I would go, if I could, I would have a GT3 engine in like a C2S. I want the car to move around. I don't want it to have tons of grip. Yeah. And I want yeah, it to yeah. flow down, a, like flow down a road. Whereas but I have GT3, more fun with it just like smashes down a road and you've got but is so that much is that not it. where the kind of like the, the four liter cayman kind of i suppose that's where that kind of comes in yeah it's and not they are, as i don't know when this podcast is going to come out this podcast is going to come out in a while so this car will have come out ages ago um the gt4 rs rs yeah, yeah. Coming out, which is gonna have the gt3 engine in it yeah which is mega that's mad. I think it looks great as well. I, I, I'm not offended, but it doesn't look... I was worried that it looked like Tech Heart or someone have got hold of it mm. and bolted loads of bits to it. Uh, yeah, obviously, the wing's are a bit bigger and stuff. I think it looks really, really mean. Yeah, it's cool. And it's, it's, they've, put, they've put a 911 engine 
not even a 911 engine, a GT3 the engine proper one. in a Cayman. Yeah. That's something they people said they were never going to do. No, that's mega. But yeah, that, that that will have come out like six weeks ago by the time this comes out. <laughs> <laughs> old news. Right, okay. I, I did actually have some five questions. Um, so what do you think is the most undervalued car at the moment? That is tricky. Um, I think depending on what you want out of a car, and this, uh, to be honest, I'm looking at buying one at the moment, something just a bit of fun that you can jump in and kind of enjoy, E46 M3 for a kind mm. of fast drive stuff. And the other thing that I've, I keep coming back to, and I'm sure it would be a disaster if you actually own one, but these S63 Coupes, yes. I just think they're one of the most handsome cars Mercedes have ever made. And I love the CLs of the yesteryear, even the first gen, like the 55s, and then into the 63s of the last gen. They're great looking cars, but they, they were sort of a bit golf club. The, yeah. These are like muscle cars. They look so good, and they're so fast, and they actually drive really well. They're not they're still wafty, of course, but they're not ship-like like the, yeah. the, the predecessor. It, I think that is at 45, 50 grand. That's an incredible daily. And you know, God forbid, you say, oh, how much could you lose? It probably will be worth 15 grand at some point, which at that at some point, point in time. buy one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and there's obviously so much to go wrong with it because it's their flagship S-Class. But um, I just think, I keep I keep looking at them. There's, there's someone who lives in Richmond who's got an S65 coupe yes. and an S63 coupe on their driveway on the green. Yes. And I, every time I green. drive past, I'm like, oh, <laughs> so cool. I don't so know yeah, who that, would buy a 65 like that. I, is, I, I actually know him and he's he's a yeah, very, very big Mercedes enthusiast. He's uh, I met him recently, he came in here to view a car and I was like, you are my hero. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, they're, they're, yeah, I think, like I say, E46 M3 for the kind of run-of-the-mill stuff, they are on the up and just great fun. Obviously, it has to be a manual. Um, yeah. I don't think I think the convertibles are becoming less offensive and less kind of uh, uh, estate agent, but um, the uh, the coupe, yeah, a nice classy spec coupe at 13 to 15 grand. I don't think you're going to go wrong if it's got all the stuff done to it and the mileage, yeah. and you're going to have so much fun in it. Yeah, I kind of want one. Yeah, I, I found a silver one with red leather, and I think the red leather's Marmite, but I kind of like it. And just, yeah, keep it stock. Just, yeah, nice nice thing to smoke around. Yeah, definitely. And and those, I for a long time, I was looking at an S500 coupe. As I was like, hmm, this, this, you just look at, like, what they cost, and, like, 63s and 65s even more so. Yeah. Like, what they cost new and what oh, they cost now. Just me- like the 63 is like what, still 130 more grand and they're 40 odd grand now yeah. and yeah like you say you, you and the thing is you turn up in one of them as so long as you haven't like murdered it out you turn up anywhere <laughs> yeah. in there and people will go that's a nice car and it's not yeah. and it's not oh he thinks he's billy big dick or oh that thing's really chavvy or it, it's just a nice classy it's kind of a mature car in a way as well without it being and i think they've kind of got rid of the uh like i said the golf club image uh and made it a little bit more fun as well yeah yeah that that's yeah, a very good nice. car. They're nice, and you know it's just so comfy. You just yeah, there's so much to be said for that. Off you go. <laughs> <laughs> right, what is the most interesting car to you at the moment? I, to be honest, I, I think in, like given the proximity to this podcast versus when it was announced, I think it's got going back on what you just said. Probably the GT4 RS because it's kind of like oh shit, they're still paying attention. Like they are actually building cars that people want to buy and obviously there's a ploy within porsche that they know exactly what they're fucking doing they, they're printing money good yeah. luck to them because they're building the most incredible cars to drive um 
but like you said, they've built the car that no one thought they would. And I think fair fair play to them. I think that's a really cool thing to have done. They're not just driven not just being driven by accountants and kind it's of number amazing. crunching. The way that they're starting to position the cars. Like we've had the GTS recently and it sounds like they've sort of they've actually put it in between the Carrera and a GT3 as in it's as opposed got to just being bits. a faster yeah 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 it's, it's not it's just not a faster just Carrera option. yeah 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 it's not like a body kit kind of thing which it, it, it's always it's always been I, I always love the 991 specifically the Gen 2 but you know, either the Gen 1 or something but the 991 Targa 4 GTS was such a cool mm. looking car but there's not much in it to drive it over a standard Carrera S it's no. kind of like again you don't get that fizz from it and I'm hoping that now with the new ones coming out, it's going to be like, holy shit, yeah, this is this is rapid, or this is so much better in whatever way. Or, yeah, it deserves to be, because it's it, often it's a huge price point as well difference. Yeah. It'll be more dynamic. It'll be quicker. Blah, 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 blah. But it's not going to have the fizz, because it just... No, it's, it's not, because impossible. it's still that engine, and yeah, yeah, I agree. But, it, it, yeah, go back to what you said. The most interesting car for me at the moment this week it will change, I'm sure, tonight when something else comes out or whatever. But um, yeah, I thought that I was quite impressed. Uh, it was it was obviously rumoured that it would have the GT3 engine, and for them to actually have sort of put their money where their mouth is, I thought fair fucking play. That's uh, yeah, that's a cool car. It's it's as if it feels to me as if Porsche have gone. Hang on a minute, these cars are going to disappear. Like we are not going to have combustion engines for that much longer. They'll, they'll make... be under pressure to yeah. Well, naturally, they are under pressure to, to go really ramp up their electric program and they're doing a great job of it obviously leading the way in some senses but for them to kind of really make the last of Mm. these opportunities is fantastic yeah it's very very cool right final question five car garage unlimited value um five car garage okay we i know we did this before so i'm sure it's gonna be completely different now so i'm gonna go uh Okay, five car garage. I would love a two seven five four cam. Mm. That'd be in there. That'd be my sort of Italian offering. I'm not bothered. I think there's people go, oh, true fifty GTO. No, I actually want to drive the fucking thing. I don't want to just. Like... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Too loud. Um, yeah, quite. Um, so that would be that three hundred SL Roadster. I, like I way prefer the Roadster to the Gullwing. Yeah. I actually love the Roadster with the hardtop on. I think it's such a beautiful car, and it'd have to be in that amazing raspberry pink uh, metallic that they did. So that would be number two. Um, number three would be uh, DB4 GT. Love an Aston. That would be in mm-hmm. there. Um, these are all quite samey, though. They're kind of like <laughs> un- uncomfortable <laughs> Grand Tourists. Yeah, yeah, quite. Um I tell you what I saw the other day, and I, I, this is kind of a bit of a wild card for me because I'll be honest, I, I sort of blasphemy, but I think I was a little bit too young to really get the McLaren F1, mm. and I, I, I think it skipped a beat. I've never looked at it and got the kind of horn that I, I know a lot of people do have for it, and rightly yeah. so. So I get, I totally get the engineering feat of it, but I saw that Gordon Murray thing at the weekend for the first time, and I it, yeah. saw it in action as well, and I was just like, "Fuck me!" If my numbers came in, that would definitely be on my shopping list i think it is so cool and just the noise alone it is insane i think they've done a really cool job of it i would buy that car for the ethos alone absolutely i don't think it looks that good no it's it's, it's certainly not going to win any beauty like awards 
but knowing why it looks the way it does and just I mean, yeah. when he did when Gordon did that um that kind of q a day with all the kind of youtubers down at his place mm. it was harry metcalf's video that really got me it was like an hour long two of them walking around the car and he knew every naturally he obsessive he knew every detail about everything on it and just watching how much thought and effort and energy has gone into it and uh, yeah this every, i'm sure it's the same with all mass produced stuff you know even down to like you know modern bentleys and stuff like that. Yeah. It's obviously it's such a huge process that goes into it but knowing that this is kind of like i don't know if it feels a little bit more spit and sawdust a little bit more rustic and like this is like a man's done this it's it, i don't know <laughs> it, it, I, I just loved it and the silly fan on the back of it appeals yeah. to the kid inside me i think it's it's quite uh and, and again hearing it the weekend for the first time i was like whoa this is yeah this is a special car that is uh i'm looking forward to hearing that one of the elements and i I don't know whether it was in that video or a similar video is um and i'm sure all manufacturers actually do this sort of thing but this was the first time i came across it It was when it's a bit more romantic this rig yeah 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 so and i just got this vision of gordon sitting there going like third fourth no let's change it we need a yeah. little bit of point naught 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 one millimeters of extra spring rate, whatever, and then they'll sit there and go like click click. And he's like, still not right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love that. I absolutely love that. Um, yeah, it, yeah, Porsche probably going. Fuck, so we do that with all of our cars. <laughs> That's why they're brilliant. And yeah, they cost a hundred grand, not not, not two, two million. million. Or <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, that what was that number four, number five. Uh, the, the, the... You have a daily in this scenario. Yeah, I think I need a daily, don't I? Um, I, I, I'll tell you what, I, just because of, again, I'm, I'm sucker for a Targa, and it's, for me, I actually, sorry to say, but I prefer the look of the F12 over the 812, but I would love an 812 GTS. I'd love an 812 GTS, just to mm. it'd be the car that you know, actually, I guess out of the garage I've just listed, is actually going to get you to the south of France, but it's also the car that would be the most enjoyable, most fun fastest and whatever else i think yeah so an h12 gts would be uh, a very very nice daily that has got to be pr- like in terms of like peak sort of motor car modern motor car h12 yeah. gts has got to be a bit That's of a brilliant. high mark yeah Just and right again bonkers. and now they're, they're they've, they've gone naturally silly silly money and I, frankly i think rightly so i think they're uh yeah, that's that was again another, and that was a, a sort of warm your cockle story with Ferrari as well, because it's like shit. They actually built a car that people wanted, and it's not yeah. a special edition. It's actually it, they haven't done it as a Barquetta or whatever. It's it's yeah. a it's a production car that has completely catered to a, a, a massive demand, and it's, it looks the nuts with the roof up, the roof down. It's not compromised with its kind of folding roof or anything. So yeah, fair play to Ferrari for that. I am absolutely waiting for those to go yeah yeah because they I made a lot might, they did that's that's the only saving grace is they did but they are still huge money what are they now 400 grand 450 grand yes but i if you'd asked me talk to people a year ago and they i think they were 350 new mm. something like that maybe 375 maybe for a high spec one as a guess they were like yeah they're going to be 250 and not that long because you want a convertible one yeah yeah but um but we're in this crazy market, but crazy market go away. There's a lot of those cars, and it's a V12 yeah. Ferrari, and they and generally I, I, shed so value. I don't know what it is about it, because the same is not entirely true of just the 812, but they've, all the ones I've seen in the flesh, bar maybe one or two exceptions, have been really, really well-specced. 
Mm. Then I haven't seen a red one. I haven't seen a. You know, I mean, they've all been. No, I've not seen like, one red one. Po- TDF blue or you know, green or, or whatever. Yeah, oh, so nice. Or even black. They look great in black. Like, wouldn't want a black one, but it's yeah. They're just such a good-looking car. So yeah, bravo. One of those, cool. please. <laughs> yeah. yeah, very cool. Well, thanks very much for coming on the podcast. It's no, thank you for having me, mate. Good to have you on. Great to see you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.